Let's open with a word of prayer. Our great God in heaven, we are so thankful for your grace that you show to us as redeemed but still sinful people. God, our our hearts are full of wickedness at times, just deceit and idolatry, self-righteousness, pride, bitterness. God, we, we come still as as sinners and battling with the desires of the flesh and we see this even in our parenting we just confess to you our weakness and our neediness and just how we're completely dependent upon your grace your power to to change us so that we can in turn show that same grace toward our children we pray that as we um, continue to think about this topic today that you would be equipping us to be faithful stewards of these little lives that you've given us to raise up and to show your love and your grace and your truth. We pray that that your spirit would be at work in the hearts of our children to do that heart work that we cannot do. pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, this is a little bit of a turning point in the class. The last four weeks have been, really it was, I think, one evening's lecture from Paul Tripp's conference that he did, but it was focusing on on some of these foundational ideas, what is the family, and then how the heart is the target, how we're really, you know, he said all lasting change in anyone's life flows from the heart, from heart change. Inner transformation is is the goal. We're not trying to to nail apples or behaviors onto our children. We're trying, what we're aiming for is that out of their overflow of their heart, they would love and know God, that they would love one another, um, and yet in our family, we're going to see also we see also how we fall short of that. Our children fall short of that, and so the family becomes the primary place where the drama of just grace and forgiveness is hopefully playing out, where we're confessing sin as it's ex- as it happens, as, we, as it's exposed, um, our own pride and selfishness is exposed, and then where our children's you know pride and, and sin is exposed, uh, we have opportunity to live out the gospel, to confess our sin. That's what we do as Christians. We are not the perfect people. We're the ones who, are, who confess our sin and ask for forgiveness and, and repent and turn away from it. So the, these next um, six weeks, we're going to now focus in on different ages, age ranges. So today is infancy to childhood. Well, the next two weeks, infancy to childhood, and then moving up through childhood and then the teenage years. Um, so today in particular, and actually the next two weeks, we're going to be thinking about this early age, zero to five, and the, the main idea, or one of the main themes, is going to be authority, uh, how God has placed us as authorities in the lives of our children. So some opening discussion questions, what is the role of authority in our lives, and then think about people who have been or are in authority over you, what characteristics do they have that made you respect them? By the first question, could you uh, explain that? Do you mean like who has authority in our lives or what role do we have in authority? I guess both. Like we see authority work in different ways in different spheres. In some places you are all in, in authority to some in some degree. Um, maybe in the workplace, maybe at home, in your marriage, um, in the church. Um, and then you're also all under authority in different ways too. So... You know, in society, in the church, in the home, um, there, there may be different roles in which you're both either in authority or under authority. So, you know, what is the role of 
just that that structure, like the fact that there is authority structures in the world. What is that the the role of that or the purpose for those authority structures? Well, I would say that the role of authority changes with age. When you're a child, your parents are your biggest authority. You go to school and your teachers and your parents are your authority. You go to employment and your employer has authority over you. We always have the government and rules and regulations over us. At my age, <laughs> I don't have a husband anymore, so my who has authority over me? The Lord Almighty God and church leaders. Hmm. Um, but what are their roles? You know, fortunately, the roles that the up authority over me are ones that guide me to everlasting life. Yeah, Ray, you want to add something? So, um, I'm going to use the example of when something really bad happens, like a fire or a, a natural disaster or, or a, a chemical spill or something like that. Authority structures enable uh, a vast variety of, of resources and different agencies and different levels of government involvement to all operate together seamlessly to mitigate the emergency in a big hurry. You know, and it's like, so you can see from that example how authority provides structure and it provides for the safety and for the administration of the good things of the world and, and for the pre- preventing bad things and for mitigating bad things when they happen. So, you know, authority is really like a gift from God for the orderly progression of, of human society and flourishing. Right. Yeah, anyone want to add to that? Or? I just think basically it tells us what we can and can't do. Yeah. Yeah, it restrains us from chaos and evil and disorder and all of the ramifications, the consequences of that. Josh, do you want to add something? I was just going to say, I think the rod and staff, right? It guides us in the direction we ought to go and corrects us when we go astray. Yeah. And then ideally, the characteristics of the people who are in Florida, I always thought they have the wisdom to guide us in that way. Right. To correct us and to guide us. Yeah. You know, you could turn that question too around. You know, if you've been under authority, sometimes, I mean, maybe you've had examples of good, wise authority that you really respected, but inevitably, every human authority is going to be a mixture of good and evil, of wisdom and foolishness, or they're going to fall short of perfect authority and wisdom. So you could turn it around and think, well, what are those things that actually made you not respect those in authority? Um, or those things that are difficult to submit to as you're when you're in submission. <clears throat> They're selfish, <laughs> and it's clear that they use their authority for their own sake. That's, yeah, that's hard to respect. And on the other hand, <clears throat> if they're selfless, uh, using their authority for the sake of of others, that's so yeah. much easier to submit to them. Yeah, one thing, this is something I go back, when I, my first job that I had out of college, when my, the boss, the supervisor of our de- department, was a, he was a good man, I mean, led by example, but one thing that he struggled with was like confronting problems when they arose. He would kind of like let things just slide. And I remember kind of, I wasn't in authority at the time, but I remember being 
irked by that. Like people would kind of get away with stuff, I guess, and he wouldn't necessarily confront it. So that's one thing I think that I, now as I'm in authority in my workplace, I've realized one of my tendencies is to do the same thing. Just like not confront you know, injustice or unfairness and just let it, let it go because it's hard to confront and rule in a sense injustice. But I just want to read a few verses and then we'll watch the video. But Second um, Samuel 23, verses 3 and 4. Uh, this, these are some of the last words of David. And he's thinking, he's looking, kind of reflecting on his own reign as king, but also how his reign points forward to the true reign of God's righteous king. Second Samuel 23, verses 3 and 4, he says, The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. And you see, so the connection I just want to make there is in 23, or in verse 3, he says, he's, when you're ruling justly over men, when you're enforcing justice, both confronting the injustice in the world and make, you know, seeking to, to remedy the problems and, and create order where there's disorder, when you rule in that way, when you, and ultimately under God, this is ruling in the fear of God, then the result is human flourishing. That's what. That's how human flourishing happens. Uh, when when authority is used to serve and to bless and to enforce justice in the world. And in you know, it, it may not sound like <laughs> you're you're home. You know, in the morning. You know, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. You know, it, our homes may not feel that way, but that's what the, the, we're going to see this morning is that we have, we're entrusted with this responsibility to function as an authority in that way, imperfectly, and in the midst of, you know, sometimes it seems like chaos. Uh, but that's, that's the battle, and that's the, that's the role that God's given us is to be that steward of that authority in our homes. So let me cue our video, and we'll talk more about it in a few minutes. Last night we laid these two foundations. Uh, One, that you have to understand God's plan for the family. The family is meant by God to be his primary learning community. The family is meant to be a theological community, uh, always pointing to the existence, the character, the plan of God, that, that ultimate fact that is meant to interpret every other fact. The family is a sociological community teaching God's call to self-sacrificing love of neighbor. And the family is a redemptive community recognizing that we will only ever be what we're supposed to be and do what we're supposed to do when we're seeking the help the transforming grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we talked about the heart, that the behavior of a child is more shaped, caused, formed by what's inside of him than what's outside of him. Uh, The heart is the causal core of that child's personhood. And if that's true, then the target of parenting is the heart. 
We want to see heart change because we understand it's only as heart change takes place that lasting changes will take place in the behavior of the child. Now what we're going to do today is we're going to apply those uh, principles to three stages of parenting, Uh, 0 to 5, 6 to 12, 13 till only God knows. Um, And in each one of these stages, I'm going to give you a point of focus to think about, uh, a theme to be working on during that particular stage. Now, let's recognize the, the development that takes place in those first five years is stunning. It's awesome. Uh, you bring home a child that if, if you left that child in a crib or laying on a couch for three or four days unattended, that child would die. They are utterly, completely, totally dependent on you. They're physically, spiritually, emotionally, conceptually dependent. And it's very, very clear that they're in great need of help and protection and care. But by the time a child is five, this child is quite sophisticated, has elaborate understanding, has put amazing things together. In fact there is already formed the structure of a worldview. This is what life is about. This is who I am. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. That structure is in place already. I mean, and the ability of this child to learn is, I mean, it's crazy. Think about this. A little girl, maybe between 18 and 20 months, she's just learning to form language, says this sentence to her mother. Mommy, mommy, I thinked about what you said. And mommy says, no, 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 dear. It's not I thinked, it's I thought. Do you understand that the mistake she's made is phenomenally intelligent? This little girl, just by observation, has learned that in the English language, when you form a verb in the past tense, the normal rule is to add an ED to the present tense. Now, what parent has that conversation? You know, about 15 months you say, dear, you're going to want to conjugate verbs in the past tense. (laughs) So here's the normal rule. You see, you don't, you don't have to do that because this observer has put together the discrete rules of grammar and is actually f- using those, those rules in a way that's rational, that makes sense. Are you hearing me? Be afraid, be very afraid. I'm serious. Because that child never stops watching you, never stops listening to you, never stops interpreting your behavior. That's why a little girl, not knowing why she's doing it, about three years old, will do this to her dad. Daddy? You know, I need a dolly. Now, where'd she learn that? 
You never have seen a little boy go, Daddy. <laughs> because she's, she's beginning to learn the kinds of things that a, a woman does and the, and the way a woman seeks to get what she wants and seeks to advance her purpose. A little boy walks in the room and puts up his hand like this. Yo, dad. Uh, our children learn real quickly how to, how to sort of uh, get inside our fences. I remember my, my youngest son hopping up on his mom's lap. He said, mommy, do you know how much I love you? I'm so glad you're my mommy. I'm, I'm behind him doing this. Because he's working her. He knew he was working her. I knew there was going to be a request to follow. This just wasn't a noble expression of affection by a deeply grateful son. It wasn't. My youngest son, my oldest son, Justin, uh actually stood up and began to walk somewhere between nine and ten months. Now, that's not supposed to be physically possible, but it was. Uh, he was a kid who was sort of always ahead of the game. And he was this little teeny humanoid. It just seemed weird that he was walking. And I knew the minute he got mobile, there was a whole world of danger out there. Right? The threat level goes from orange to red. <laughs> and so I walked him over to the wall socket. And I, I mean, you think this, this conversation is just worthless. And I felt down and I said, this is dangerous. You must never touch this. You must never put anything in this. And he's doing this. <laughs> the next day, I'm reading the newspaper in the living room. And I hear the pitter-patter of little feet. And with peripheral vision that he doesn't know I have, out the side of the paper, I see his little head peek around the corner. He thinks that I'm totally engrossed in the paper and I can't see him. Now, you got to see what happens next. He makes a beeline for the wall socket. But catch this. Just before he reaches to touch it, he turns to see if I'm looking. Now, what does that turn tell you? He absolutely knows he's disobeying and he's chosen to do it. Don't think that at this age you can't teach and instruct your children. Don't think they're unable to put things together. They're elaborately putting things together. How quickly will your children uh, know that we eat different things at breakfast than we do at dinner? They know the difference between dessert and vegetables. Doesn't take very long. They learn very quickly, dress up clothes and play clothes, right? I mean, think of all this elaborate stuff that they're taking in. 
And so this is a very, very important time because as the, the conceptual world of this child is growing, the heart is growing. It's developing desires. It's developing a way of looking at the world. It's developing goals and purposes. That child is already deciding, uh, this is the kind of person I want to be. This is what I want to do. That stuff is taking place. Don't think it's not. And what you need to make sure that this child understands this is fundamental to everything you will do the rest of the life of the child is this. Get this. This is the big deal, the point of focus in this period of time. You must tell this child in a hundred ways that they've been born into a world of authority. That they will never rule that they are never in charge, that this universe that they're born into is a universe under rule. And because it's under rule, there is right and wrong. There is true and false. There is good and bad. There is healthy and unhealthy. Because there's a God of wisdom who rules his world. And they must understand that God uses human agents as expressions of his authority. We'll talk about this some more, but parents, you don't have independent authority. You have none. These children don't actually belong to you. They belong to God. Your authority is representative. You represent God's authority. And so in, in this, these days, these early days, your job is to picture in the way that you respond to your authority the kind of authority that God has. You're supposed to picture God's expression of authority. Ask yourself right now, is the way I respond to my children a beautiful picture of God's authority? Because that's critical, because everything that you will do in the mid-years and in the teen years is based on this child's understanding and willingness to submit to authority, right? Hear what I'm about to say. You do not want to have authority battles with a 17-year-old. Those battles are meant to be solved at this early age. And so parents, you shouldn't give away authority at this early age, saying it's just a little thing. Have the battles when they're little, so you don't need to have the battles when they're big. Now I can tell you for sure, Fasten your seatbelts. If you do that, you're going to be one exhausted parent. Because you're going to feel like every day is one big battle. Praise Jesus, you're doing your job. I'm serious. Because you're teaching this child that submission to God's law, submission to God's authority is not bondage, it's actually freedom. Because I'm living according to the laws of the universe, and when I do this, life works the way it's supposed to work. If you got a Bible with you, and I hope you do, if you don't, you probably memorized yours, uh, turn to this beautiful passage of Scripture, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
This is right means that's the way the system was designed. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, very, very helpful uh, passage. This passage is basically defining for us God's circle of safety. When, when the child lives inside of this circle, honoring, obeying, things will go well and long life. We'll talk about what that means. Now, your job is not to exercise your authority so you clone yourself and your child and you get them to, to submit to being your indentured servant because you think now that you have children, you can be lazier because they can do all the work that you should probably be doing. That's a perversion. That's not representative authority. That's a selfish expression of authority. I express my authority in a way that teaches children that God has ordained for them to live in a circle of safety and good things happen when they stay there. And when they step out of that circle of safety, they step into danger. When our children were were real little, uh, we would draw a circle uh, on our patio just as a physical illustration. And we'd all stand inside the circle and we'd hug one another and say safety and I'd tell them to get out of the circle and I'd scream danger, danger, danger and they'd all run back into the circle and laugh. It was just a way of sort of giving a physical picture of what we were talking about. Now this passage defines for us what it actually means to live in this circle of safety. First of all, obedience. Obedience is a willing submission to my parent that causes me to do what I am told. Now get this. Obedience is willing submission. Obedience is not a child who's fighting and screaming, punching and pushing, uh, flipping out. Now they're moving toward what you told them to do, but everything in that behavior tells you they're not submitting. Are you with me? You hurt your child if you accept that. Because you're teaching them yelling and screaming and fighting as long as I'm moving toward the thing I'm supposed to do is an obedient heart. That's not an obedient heart. That's a rebellious heart in a child who thinks he can't win so he's going to scream like crazy and tell you how much he hates your authority. That's not submission. Parents, in that moment, call the child back. Get down on your knees and say, we have a problem here. Mommy hasn't been mean to you. Mommy hasn't done bad things to you. Mommy loves you. She's asked you to do something. You're screaming at mommy. What are you thinking right now? Why are you screaming? What do you think that's going to accomplish? That's an amazing moment. That's a God-given moment because you're actually seeing shocking rebellion against God living in your hallway. This is the child who doesn't understand it. He's actually saying, you will not make me obey. I'm going to rule my world. And listen, Some of you are feeling the grief of teenagers who are doing that right now. 
We should feel the grief when it's a three-year-old doing it because that's where they're marching. That's where they're going. Don't call that a little thing. Don't laugh at that. It's, it's serious and important. Now, let's define this further. Uh, willing submission sa- says it's without challenge. If you ask your child to obey and they're yelling at you, what are they actually doing? They're taking authority over you. And so, I'll be the mommy again. It's hard with a mustache to imagine that, I know, but uh, it's not actually a mustache, it's a mutation. I have three of them on my back. <laughs> my mom had one right here, it was so sad. <laughs> uh, I, I sit down, I say, there's something not working here. You're trying to be the mommy of mommy. And if you're the mommy of mommy, then you don't have a mommy. And that's dangerous. See, that's good talk. You call them back. Because this is not a little moment. This is a big moment. They're they're challenging authority. How about without excuse? Wow. Children are never more creative than when they're excusing their rebellion. They'll say something like, I didn't hear you. You could whisper from 400 yards, we're getting ice cream, and they'd hear you and come running. (laughs) I forgot. If you said we're going to the amusement park six years ago, they'd still be reminding you. (laughs) Very seldom is... Disobedience, the result of audio or memory dysfunction. <laughs> it's just not. And, and you see, all of us, a way that we ease our conscience when we do wrong is to erect an excuse that makes that wrong acceptable to our conscience, right? So if you're a husband and you just screamed at your wife, what do you tell yourself? You don't say I'm an evil sinner and I need further redemption. No, you say, she always does this to me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good man. Uh, I got on a roll once, arguing for my righteousness in front of my wife. This is very embarrassing to admit, but I will. I said these humble words to her. 95% of the women in our church would love to be married to a man like me. How's that for humility? (laughs) Luella very sweetly informed me she was in the 5%. (laughs) Now, now why did I tell that story? I'll tell you why. You should not be surprised or tricked by those excuses because you're so good at giving them. You're good at it. You ought to be able to recognize it. Because every sinner does it. We are all very skilled self-swindlers. We just are. And so we, we need people in our lives who will help us to see ourselves and will, who will point that out to us. And that's it's very, very important. Without delay. One of the ways children 
take authority over a parent is by delaying as far as they can before they do the thing. They know when you ask them to do it, you mean now. But they'll push you. And they're watching you get upset. And when you finally say, you still haven't picked up your toys, what does the child tell you? You didn't tell me when. And as you flush red, they're loving it. Because they've, they've gotten a little bit of authority in that moment. This is a big deal. Because sinners don't love authority. Sinners love these two things. These are the two lies of the garden. The first lie is autonomy. What is autonomy? I'm an independent human being and I have the right to choose how I'm going to live my life. That's why you will never hear one of your children at this age saying, Mommy, if you could just tell me to do more things, that would be helpful. I love when you command me. <laughs> You'll never hear that because children have bought into their autonomy so they don't have a clue what's healthy to eat but they'll fight you when you want them to eat something that's healthy. Get it, that issue is not about food. What is it, what is it about? Authority, autonomy. I don't want to be told what to do. That's why people say, oh, we don't want our dinner table to be stressful, then win the battle. Because if you hold on, if you say, I'm your mom, I'm your dad, I know what's healthy for you to eat, you don't. I don't want to develop patterns that are going to be healthy, unhealthy for you later in life and you'll pay the price for them because this is a preparatory time. I'm going to exercise my authority. You go through a couple years where that's hard and then after a while, no one fights you anymore. By the time our children were five, six, seven, and eight, we had no supper time battles because they knew it was our job to create a diet. They didn't have a vote. If you give your child a vote, guess what? They'll take it. And they'll outvote you every time. It's your job. It's not about diet. It's about authority. It's very, very important. How about honor? This is treating my parents with respect and esteem because of their God-appointed position of authority. <coughs> now, you should want to be worthy of respect. You hear what I said? You should want to be worthy of respect because you are representing God. And this passage says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. You should not do mean, cruel, selfish things that anger and embitter your children. You should want to be a person who is worthy of the respect that your children should give you. But I want to say this. Your children must not attach the level of their respect to the level of your perfection. You re, you're respected because of your position. You realize you're in this position as a flawed human being. And you're going to make mistakes. 
It's like I respect the president because of his position. I may not always agree with the man, but I respect the office, the importance of the office, the exercise of the authority of that office. That's where your children should be. They should have respect for your position. They have a knowledge that you're not perfect. And you should always be willing to talk about that. There are times when you need to confess your sin to your children. You need to go back and say, that was wrong. That was about my anger. That wasn't pleasing to God. I know I hurt your feelings. But the respect should be because you're in that position and in that position you represent the perfect authority of God, although you don't do that perfectly. Does that make sense? And so there's some things that need to be said about that. Uh, Your children should not address you as a peer because that confuses authority. Some of you will struggle with this. Moms and dads, Your kids don't need you to be their best buddy. They're going to have plenty of those. They need you to be a parent because you're the only ones they have. Now, that isn't being mean. You'll have times where you throw back your head and laugh with your children. One of the things I I love about our gatherings as a family in the holidays, we were all together, everybody came in for Christmas, is how much of the time we just laugh. We just laugh. We're comfortable with one another. We laugh. That's a good thing. So it's not being distant and mean and all too formal, but you you must understand that you're not their peer. Uh, This means there there are jokes that that, uh, would be okay to go on at this level that should not go on this way. Your children shouldn't call you stupid because that kind of critique is always made from above. That confuses authority. Parents, this is not little stuff, it's big stuff because you're forming a sense of the structure that God has put in his world and you want that structure to be clear. All right, so just a recap, and then we'll have some closing discussion. But age zero to five, those years, your child is developing a worldview, identity, desires, how does the world work, what am I here for, all that's going on in the mind of your two-year-old or any age in there. A child needs to learn that they live in a world of authority. One of my quotes, favorite quotes from our founding fathers, I think it was John Adams, says, facts are stubborn things. Like the facts are what they are. They don't change, and the world is what it is. It's a world and authority. God's the ruler, and it doesn't matter how you feel about it. Um, this is the way it is. It's the rules of the game, if we want to call life a game. And that's what we a child needs to learn that they, they don't get to make the rules. And lastly, uh, parents' authority over children is to teach them how to live under God's authority. So, you know, it, we are fallen, sinful humans and yet we have this stewardship to reflect God's authority this responsibility to reflect God's authority in our home in the way that we um, raise up our children so in let's let's discuss a few things so what is how do you guys respond to this you know authority in general is 
suspect in our day. What do you see positively about this teaching your child submission to authority? Or you could turn it around, I guess. If you have, uh, does part of you resist that teaching of being an authority over your children? Anybody pointed out, um, you said to your kids, you will never be an authority. And that struck me as the first is like, well, at some point they're going to be in charge of their eyes, but then you can think about it that they're never not under the authority of someone. Yeah. Important for kids to learn that early. So they, they don't necessarily, might not go through that rebellious stage where they think they're in charge of their Yeah. Go ahead, Natalie, and then Steve. I was going to say, it, it really can offer protection, especially when they're younger. If you tell them, no, don't do something or get out of the road, like if they know, like mom's telling me to do this, I need to do it, like it could save their life potentially um, in a different situation. Right. Steve, you're. It just, well, he mentioned it too, but the fact that. It teaches them how to go under God's authority. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, part of our job is to direct them towards the Lord. Like, obviously, we can't cause them to be Christians, but you know, when they're real little, especially they see us in the role of God, right? And so that, and hopefully, that'll transition, right, to know there is a God, right? He loves me, and I am even under His authority. And to me, that's the most popular. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, going back to what Natalie said a second ago, like, um, you know, we give them a command, don't go in the road because you'll die. You know, we can make that connection that actually God gives us commands like, you know, don't commit adultery and don't steal. And and those are actually, has the same goal in mind. Like, this is how you live a good life in the world that God made. You obey His commands. And so uh, authority... Like hopefully you're right, Steve. It'll transition from seeing like this is mom and dad's rules to actually rules are are part of the world God made, and if we're going to live, if we're going to flourish in the world He made. We we need to live within the rules of the world. Go ahead, Sarah. About that, like just I tell my kids all the time, like obedience is going to bring blessing and freedom. Disobedience is going to bring destruction, and you know, yeah. And someday you're not going to have us over you. The Lord is going to be the one that disciplines you. Right. Yeah. It was kind of harkening back to, uh, he didn't say it, but moments of conflicts becoming moments of ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, like, in that uh, moment of rebellion and outrage from your child because they're being disciplined, uh, teaching them that what's going on right now is, is rebellion, not only against me, but against God, and, and teaching them that submission is good. Right. Authority is good, and uh, that your desire to not be under authority is the the result of a depraved. You might not use this language, but the depraved, sinful, corrupt heart. Like that's what's happening right now, uh, and that is at the heart of ungodliness. Is the your your desire to two year old your desire for autonomy? But uh, right. Um, yeah, but that's what is actually happening in. Yeah, yeah. It's Genesis two, all or Genesis three, all over again. Like, I'm gonna make the rules. God doesn't know what's best for me, and I, I get to be in charge. You, Cheryl, you want it? Yeah, and I think it's also the other side is 
sobering that we need to be really careful not to abuse that because then that's going to show that authority can't be trusted that God, you know. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. That's kind of the second part of the question here is that, you know, that it's a sobering reality to think about. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm a fallen human. I'm going to discipline out of anger. I'm going to make mistakes as a parent. I'm going to ignore things that I shouldn't because it's inconvenient. And then I'm going to nitpick my children over things that I probably shouldn't because it bothers me. Uh, and yet, <laughs> this is God's, this is the way. <laughs> this is God's way. He's given fallen human beings. He didn't, he didn't call perfect people to have children. He calls you and me fallen sinners who are redeemed to, to train up our children. And as I said, we should train our children to live under our authority as a means of teaching them how to live under God's authority. Uh, what should it look like to live under God's authority? You know, part of this, I think, is just connecting that, you know, our role, our role in re- parenting our children is actually, you know, we're, we're the ones under authority in regard to God. And so the same kind of role, we're, we're on both sides of the um, authority structure. Uh, if, can someone turn to First John five three, and then someone else Matthew eleven twenty nine to thirty? I'd just like to read a couple verses and read. You see in these verses both um, authority that we're under authority, but then also blessing that, that comes from it. So does someone have First John five three? This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Yeah, you see, First John five three that we, we this is the love of God. We keep His commandments. There's God's authority. He gives the commands. He gives the rules, but His commandments are not burdensome. It's not like He's here to squash out our life and make us fo- follow uh, His way because He's a He wants to rob us of all joy. His commandments are like the guardrails. They're going to keep us in the path of life and blessing and joy. What about Matthew eleven twenty nine to thirty? Want to, read, want to read that? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. Uh, Sam preached on this when he came a few months ago, but um, you know, there is a yoke in the sense that we are called to be servants of Christ. We're under his authority, he's our king. We follow him, we don't make the rules. And yet, that yoke is not a yoke of drudgery it's a yoke that's easy and his burden is light it's it's the yoke that leads us to rest for our souls a flourishing for our souls so hopefully we're growing and realizing that god's authority over us is for our own good and then we can then turn around on the other side of the uh, structure and lead in a way that reflects that for our children anyone want to comment on that or questions about how that works out steve well something that Anyways, um, part of what I think, personally, that I think God's authority, what it should look like, there needs to be a sense of belonging. Like, you're my child. You're God's child. Right? We belong to God. And that's why we have this structure. Um, It's really important, from what I understand at least, that children know and feel that sense of belonging. Yeah. And I know we go. I go a little extreme personally. Like I actually tell my children they belong to me. Mm. They belong to God. Hmm. Um, and then you also it has to be backed up with 
action. Right. Yeah, and I think what you, I mean, if I'm understanding you right, and I, th- would, I mean, this, the context of our authority is not, we're not just a drill sergeant giving rules. We're actually, uh, we're, we're a family. We enjoy time together. We, 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 it's, it comes in the context of love and, and relationship, not just uh, authoritarian, you know, because we can, we can abuse authority, like, like Cheryl said. And, you know, when the, I know there's times when we, just because we're busy, my parenting kind of falls into that, just, you know, barking orders and moving on. And that's not the the biblical model of, of authority. As far as what it looks like to live under God's authority, I think practically one of the most uh, observable ways that a child is going to see that their parents lived under the authority of God's authority is being meaningfully involved in local church. Because, uh, like, hmm. if their dad's at work, they're not going to see them, you know, submitting to their employer. But it's like. I gather with other believers on a regular basis, and I'm, I'm subject to their uh, their correction, and mm. not only the the eldership, but but even other believers. That I'm I'm willing to hear and submit, and uh, and to change my life because of what uh, the authority of God's word mediated through mm. my local church. Um, and and your kids can actually see that of like, oh, my parents don't just live autonomously. Right. They actually submit themselves to mm. another authority. Mm. Yeah. yeah right. And on that note, you know, uh, I think it's important, you know, in, in demonstrating authority to our children that we are that we also are under authority. Like the uh, like the Roman soldier is like, comes to Jesus and he's like, "For I too am a man under authority <coughs> who tells this guy to do this and he does it." Etc. Right. You know. So, but he's like, what he's the statement that he's making is that he understands authority structure, that he himself is under authority and uh, in a position of authority, you know, and, and that ultimately everything, everything in the whole entire universe is ordered according to authority structure. Yeah. You know, even God himself, who is under the authority of his own goodness and, um, and his own perfectness, you know, like, I swear by myself, I will bless you, you know, seeing as he has nothing higher to swear by, he's under his, the authority of his own character. God, <laughs> in a sense, right? So, I agree with you, Ray, but I want to then ask a, a kind of a practical question. We might, maybe, I don't know, maybe some of you are disagreeing, but assuming you're agreeing that this is what it should be like, that God's authority is to be reflected in our home and the way we lovingly lead our children, how do we practically actually give that away? I, I can read the question. In what ways do we tend to give authority away to our children? In what ways do we kind of subvert that practically and make our children actually the authority in our homes? One way would be when you're uh, back down in a situation where it's the child is being rebellious and you go, let them have their way. Yeah. You're, you're giving away your authority at that point. Right. I don't know. Has that ever happened anyway in homes? <laughs> <laughs> Catherine. I guess I would just say, even like a, a toddler, um, like if, if you have to follow them around every restaurant and you follow them wherever they go, instead of give the parameters of no, you stay here, and if you do one step more than I said, that that's rebellion. Yeah. No, I mean, certainly, like, that. many times that, that would have fleshed out in different ways. Like, 
following your kids, letting them set the agenda, letting them determine where you go or what you eat or what your social life's like. I mean, there's balance there. Like, you know, kids need to sleep and like you can't, you, we need to use our authority wisely there, but we can turn it around and let children just kind of run the show. Any else have any, Adam? Maybe if we are, I'm still thinking this through here, but if we are <coughs> letting them control like maybe our emotions or how we're acting and reacting in a certain situation that we're reacting to the way that they act if we're getting angry the way they're acting we're in a sense giving our authority away because they're basically running us yeah yeah we had a little i mean when you get to teach on parenting you, you you look at parenting in a different light through the whole week but that dinner the other night john wanted to sit he didn't want to sit in his chair. He wanted to sit with Natalie, and we said it was okay. But we said we need to ask. We need you to ask nicely. We need to ask, say please. And he he understands that clearly, but he refused to say please. He just sat there and just kept repeating "mommy, mommy, mommy" over and over again, and he refused to say it. And that little thing it was like one word. And like, how difficult is it to say one word? But he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it, and he wouldn't do it. I'd take him to the room and talk with him, and he still wouldn't do it. And so he didn't get to sit with mommy for dinner, but. That was just a little example where, you know, he wanted to make the rules, and I gave him a rule that was not difficult for him. He wanted to use the word please, and and he couldn't bring himself to verbalize that one syllable. So you'll notice that if if you have eyes to see that, just little ways where, you know, your child is seeking to be the authority over you, and, and yet God is calling you to be a loving authority over them, to be the one that, that models his authority. Go ahead, Cheryl. What about letting older siblings parent younger siblings? Mm. That's one that I think is hard. Yes, there's being a help, there's being an example, but when you're correcting, and, you know, yeah, I think that that's giving authority away. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe there's some opportunity for delegated authority in certain yes, cases, yes. as long as it's understood that yes. this is delegated. Well, you're there. Right. <laughs> That's, yeah. That's one that, I don't know, maybe that's a different, maybe I'm off on that, but. Yeah. No, I think that there's, especially knowing your children, some are going to be more controlling in their wanting to control others, so. Um, yeah. They try to affirm and say, you're going to be a great mom someday. Right. Please remember right now, that's my child. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead, Beverly. One important thing that I think you pointed out is that there's no small things. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to eat broccoli. It may seem like a small thing, but it's an authority challenge. Yeah. No, it's just that. Right. Yeah, and if it's, it's that, and when they're two, then when they're 17, it's a, it's a different matter. Um, how can we, I know we're, we're running up against time right here, but any closing thoughts? I had a couple questions here that, uh, specific, what are specific things that we can do to, to model to our children how to show respect, and then how will children know whether their parents are submissive to God's authority? Um, maybe I'll just close with that lot, that bottom question. Um, you know, this is something I've been reflecting on because your children, you know, they, especially as their minds are, you know, developing at different ages, they're not always, they're, you know, there's going to be a different. It's going to look different at different ages. But as much as you can, um, I've been thinking about the ways that you can help your children to realize that you yourself are not. Your authority is delegated, that you're under authority. So even like 
I mean, I know he's given this example, and I've tried done it over the years in different ways, but even when disciplining your children, you know, you're not disciplining them because you're mad at them and because they've offended you. You're disciplining them because they're breaking God's law. And that you as a parent are actually under God's law as well. And one of the things he's called you to do is discipline your children. So, you know, even in that, that act of disciplining them, you have an, a, a teaching moment when you can show them that you are doing what you're doing because you're seeking to submit to God's authority. Any other thoughts or comments on that in closing of just how, how we can model that? Submissiveness to God's authority in our in our home, Steve. Reading your Bible, letting your children see you read your Bible. Yeah, I think what Sam said too is is excellent. Um, teaching your children the Bible. Yeah, right? having those lesson times or just devotional times. Yeah, um, and reinforcing. You know, when you discipline, it's kind of a harsh passage, and I'm totally misquoting it, but. You know, if you don't just, you know, those who don't just when the child hates their children. Right. Right? And so, I mean, te- teaching those harsh passages and like. Yeah. I think, too, uh, definitely when you're in a disciplining situation, but also just uh, like Steve said, like reading your Bible, having, letting them see you read your Bible. But whatever it is that you are doing, uh, thinking about how you can bring it back to like, oh, ASAP, mom was doing this because God told me to do this. But whatever it may be, what if God brings it to your mind like, oh, this is why I'm doing this. Right. It's because I'm trying to obey God and pointing that out to them and bringing it up. Yeah. Yeah, two-year-olds can understand that. I mean, it, 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 you talk to them in different ways, but, it, you know, you can explain this. That you have opportunities throughout your day to, re- to reinforce that. God makes the rules, and I'm under His authority, and you're under my authority. And this is the way, the way of the world. This is the, the world God made. We don't get to make it what we want it to be. And I wouldn't, as Steve was saying, one thing, just reflecting personally, like, I don't know if I... I will almost every morning, when I, as I got older, I, this kind of sunk in with me, but I, I saw my dad reading his Bible... Every morning, I don't think I could ever. I, I don't ever remember getting up and. I mean, sometimes he'd read it and, I, and was gone already. But I, I just I knew that was like a practice of his that he was always communing with God in the morning. And um, he wasn't like telling me, "You need to read your Bible every day," but he was showing me by his life that he was submitting to God's authority. So um, let that that be a, just a reminder, as as Steve was saying. I think just practically living under God's authority means communing with Him, listening to Him in His Word, praying those spiritual disciplines. Show your children that you are following God. Let me close in prayer. (laughs) Our Father in Heaven, God, we are so thankful for Your truth that shines light into our darkness. God, on these um, struggles, the challenges of, of parenting and training up our children to know and love you. God, we are just in need of your continued sustaining grace, your help. We're prone to anger and selfishness and pride, and we bring all of that into our parenting, and, and we just pray for your forgiveness and your help that we would more and more reflect your authority in the way that we train up our children, in the way that we discipline them, in the way that we love them, that we would 
bring the truth of your word and your commands to them, but in a way that's loving and compassionate and gracious and forgiving. So they would come to see you as a loving Heavenly Father. In Christ's name, amen.